Everybody and welcome into another edition of Wild Sports Talk. Echoes included to make it feel like we're at a sold-out stadium on this Monday, September 21st, 2020. On folks, what is our 20th episode already of Wild Sports Talk here on the MI6 Sports Network is always broadcasting live across the great state of California. Of course, folks, as usual, usual, saddled up for the ride today, Jonathan Mathis and Isaiah Leung. And of course, Cal McClurg in studio here from San Diego, California, and hopefully, folks, your day is off to a wonderful start, and hopefully your day was a, a very great Monday, we hope, for you folks. But, of course, uh, John and Isaiah, as usual, fellas, good to see you. And, John, starting off with you, man, good to see you. How are we doing tonight? Hey, good to see you, man. I'm doing well tonight. I'm not the one to brag, but you guys know my love for shoes. I've been crazy about shoes since I was a little boy, and I got a new pair today. These were a, bir- a birthday gift to myself, and I am on cloud nine since I got this shoe. It's the Air Jordan 5, the Bel Air one, inspired by the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. This is a shoe that Will Smith wore in one of the episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So this shoe is awesome. I love shoes. I have so many shoes. I'm running out of places and where to put them. I'm going to have to event eventually um, invest in some shoe containers because it's getting a little crazy around here. Can we just get someone to sign John, do like a shoe endorsement or something? My goodness, the man probably has enough shoes to uh, fulfill an NBA roster at this point. But definitely, John, good to see you as usual. And of course, Isaiah Leung joining us from the garage studio up in the Bay Area. Isaiah, good to see you, man. How are we doing tonight? And of course, man, we thank you for your help on the uh, night shift the past uh, uh, the, over the past uh, course of last week. Hey, Cal and John, uh, I'm doing great. G- glad to be back for another great week of programming. Uh, I am very stoked right now because, well, I let me put it this way. I know you're never supposed to celebrate injury, but now I have uh, some use for my Nick Mullins jersey as Nick Mullins will be filling in for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, as the 49ers quarterback for next week. So I have some use for this jersey in, instead of this $80 jersey, you know, just sitting there in my closet and going to waste. But uh, besides that, you know, yeah, life is good. Niners won, A's are one win away from clinching the American League West. Uh, you know, I'm going down to San Diego to visit you guys uh, this week, this weekend, actually. So I can't wait to go see the nice weather, the beaches, you know, go see the new SoFi Stadium in La- in Inglewood, Los Angeles, uh, Inglewood, California, my bad. Um, and also go see Randy's Donuts. You know, I always wanted to see that iconic donut shop. Um Never had before, and, you know, it's going to be a great first time to go see that donut shop. And who knows, maybe I'll buy some massive donuts and, you know, show it on the show next week on Wild Sports Talk. There'll be plenty of photos here as time moves on. John, you're muted, buddy, but what's up, man? I'm pretty sure Randy Randy's donut shop is pretty decked out by now because every time a sports team is in a playoff run, they 
advertise that by decorating the gigantic donut with either Lakers, LA Kings, or, or something of that nature. So it's always fun to see, you know. I might sound a little hoarse, a little crazy, but I strained the hell out of my voice last night, so please bear with me. And for a good reason, folks, that we'll talk about a bit later in the show. Isaiah wants to make a point already. Isaiah, what do you got for us? Who knows? Next week, I might do one of our episodes of Wild Sports Talk live from Randy's Donuts while chewing on a donut. Oh, goodness gracious. The food streak will stay alive when that, in fact, happens. But that, folks, is where we are, in fact, at today. But, of course, folks, we'll take your input on all things going on in the sports world. Questions, comments, concerns. We'll, of course, uh, do our best to read those live on the air throughout the course of the show here today. And, of course, folks, thank you all very much for tuning in. Again, more so want to, again, really uh, just once more say thanks to everyone who, in fact, tuned in, though, over the course of the past uh, three episodes, folks, of the night shift. And, again, folks, that was an idea kind of conjured up by me just by virtue of, you know, what can we do to probably help improve our product and also help improve um, things across the board with uh, the schedule and, again, trying to revamp things and, again, a very – uh, amazing uh, first week for the night shift. So again, folks, that'll be back tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday at 10 o'clock Pacific time back here on the 6th uh, to, again, keep all of our uh, late night owls up to date. And again, folks, we thank you again for, of course, following us. But again, folks, you can find us on your favorite social platforms. And of course, please subscribe to, to our podcast channels, wherever, in fact, you get your podcasts from. And we will, in fact, um, uh, uh, and of course, definitely appreciate your support. With that, gentlemen, we'll start things off today over in Major League Baseball. As we had said uh, yesterday, of course, the Padres, again, in a very wacky series. Again, guys, like I had said plenty of times, again, the Padres playing the series with Seattle Friday, Saturday, Sunday at home, again, by virtue of the uh, air quality up in Seattle, Washington, being very out of control. So the Padres, as the away team all weekend, win 7-4 yesterday over the Mariners in 11 innings to, again, clinch their first uh, postseason berth. In 14 long years, and again, folks, if you probably were with us last night, but again, the last time, folks, that my hometown Padres were in the postseason, that was me in sixth grade when they, in fact, went to the postseason last time that they were there in 2006. That was me at PB Middle School in uh, sixth grade when the Padres went to the playoffs last time. And, John, I know, man, of course, that this has been a very weird year for Major League Baseball, very weird year for all of us in general, but again, John, I know, man, that obviously Padres-Dodgers has been an epic regular season series with 10 games, six go uh, six wins going to the Dodgers. But, John, I will say this, man, and I said this last night, and I kind of said this as a point of emphasis on my morning show today, was that for the first time in a long time, San Diego sports fans are kind of walking with their chest kind of puffed out a little bit by virtue of the letdowns from the past several years, all the constant, you know, roster shuffling, coaches and Managers being fired, ownership changes, uh, you know, just bad luck when it comes to the playoffs over the past several years. And last place finishes more than anything else. And the Padres on track for one, their 16th winning season, I believe, or 15th, uh, 15th winning season in club history. Their sixth playoff berth in club history. And, John, really, though, spurred on, though, by a great comeback. Not really a comeback, but, again, falling behind, uh, going ahead, and retaking the lead and, again, winning that game last night as they did with a three-run limit thinning. Uh, John, as you look at – as you kind of look about the, look at the Padres, and I know, man, they've probably been probably – along with the Dodgers, two of the most entertaining, fun ball clubs to watch over the course of the season. I think, John, that this victory for the Padres yesterday is probably one that I think kind of, in a way, 
uh, maybe in some capacity, perhaps kind of exercises demons for the past 14 years because of, like I said, heartbreak in 2007, heartbreak in 2010. And then, of course, you know, 10 straight years of losing seasons, third place uh, finishes below 500, blowing out managers, blowing out coaches, blowing out GMs, blowing out ownership groups and blowing out and blowing up this roster and trying to build from square one, what seems like or seem like every other year. Uh, John, overall takeaways on the Padres weekend, for one thing, and playing the series as the away team at their home ballpark. And above all, man, too, the Padres celebrating a playoff berth for the first time in 14 years last night against Seattle. Well, I think most of those people in San Diego who are Charger fans are feeling a sense of relief. They're, they're probably saying to themselves, wow, this is finally over. We finally have a team that's going to the playoffs. Um, this means a lot for the San Diego fan base. It's been a long time coming for the Padres, and they can say it once again. They're heading to the postseason. It's been a long time. Um, they finally put an end to an agonizing era, um, an era that dogged them in a sense because they just couldn't find a way to get into the playoffs. They finished with lousy records. They didn't play uh, consistent baseball. But now the future finally looks bright for the San Diego Padres. They have stars now. Um, they have superstars like the Dodgers do, surprisingly. Um, and, you know, it, it's a good thing for the San Diego Padres. You have Manny Machado. You have... Uh, Fernando Tatis, you have the young rookie who's, you know, really burst onto the scene, Jake Cronenworth. These guys are really putting together some good at-bats. They have been very productive. It's probably one of the most exciting teams in all of baseball. And how about this, Colin? How about we see an epic matchup between these two teams in the NLCS it's possible. It could happen. A lot of people would love to see this. I'm salivating at the fact that this could possibly happen. I would love to see these two teams meet in the NLCS. It'll be one of those seriouses of a lifetime. It'll be one for the ages. But the Padres clinching the playoff berth, this is historic in a way because it hasn't happened in so long. And, you know, now – their dreadful past could feel like a distant memory for them. I mean, this is all, this is really, really good for the San Diego Padres. And if I'm the Dodgers, I'm holding my collective breaths, breath. If I'm a Dodger fan, because I do not want to face this team in the playoffs because I know how scary good this team has become. They have truly been remarkable and it is something special to watch for sure. John, just one quick clarification. They would meet actually in the NLDS, best three out of five, not the CS because of how the bracket would work out. So it'd be a three out of five series if, in fact, both teams get over that hurdle. But it, I think, though, even if it was a Thank CS series, but even, though, but even then, though, even if it was a CS series, holy cow, that'd be intriguing. And, you know, Isaiah, I don't know that we had talked about this pretty heavily on the night shift last night in regards to, you know, that sense of, of civic pride Kind of coming back to San Diego, as John said, though, I think John hit the nail right in the head, though. Now that the football team is gone here, 
now San Diego really has a team to root for on that big sports stage, baseball, basketball, you know, uh, obviously with uh, Major League Baseball, the NBA or, you know, whatnot, that they finally have that one team now that, you know, for one, is not going to leave them for one thing, like the Chargers did, but also then again, there's been a renewed sense, fellas, as I said last night, and even today, uh, listening to local radio again, uh, local television, it's just that there's like, there's been a, like John said, Isaiah, a refreshing sense of city pride that's kind of been, you know, spreading across San Diego. Again, I was on Twitter all day yesterday and, you know, talking to fans and, uh, you know, retweeting fans uh, yesterday with all their reaction, local radio. I mean, guys, I don't know how many people call in today just bawling their eyes out, you know, tears of joy, like for the first time in the close to 15 years, the Padres are back in the postseason mix after, as I said, guys, ownership changes, blowing out managers, blowing up this roster so many times over the past 14 seasons, heartbreaking playoff losses. Again, like mentioned, the 2007 wildcard game against the Rockies in Denver, where again, they had a very bad losing streak. The 2010 season, again, it boils down to that final series in San Francisco. They have to sweep the series to force a one-game playoff. They win the first two, but can't finish the job off. So heartbreak there. And then, like I said, 10 years in a row of losing seasons, manager changes, player and roster procurement, and other issues. But Isaiah, I know we had talked a lot about this yesterday, but man, John, though, is right. I think, Isaiah, if in fact the Padres and Dodgers should meet up. I know the Dodgers would be heavily favored in the series, but man, that might be the single greatest playoff series that probably, in my mind, would intrigue any other baseball fan who is not in San Diego or in L.A. Like, oh, man, Padres-Dodgers, I have got to watch that series. Isaiah, overall, uh, any more thoughts to add on? Again, we, I, know we, I know we had talked a lot about this on Sunday on the night shift, but Isaiah, any thoughts more so about the Padres and their uh, extra inning victory over Seattle again, man, clinched that uh, clinched that first playoff spot for the first time in 14 long seasons. Um, I just wanted to say, yeah, you know, that Dodgers-Padres potential NLDS series would be amazing. It would kind of – your city or the entire Southern California would basically be feeling – how the Bay Area felt when the Oakland A's matched up against San Fr the San Francisco Giants in the World Series back in 1989. I mean, you had half of the Bay rooting for the A's. You had the other half of the Bay rooting for the Giants. And I know football and basketball were going on at that time, but people didn't care about football at that at like that particular time. People didn't care about basketball uh at that particular time, it was just baseball, man, because the A's and the Giants were both in the World Series. So it was just a lot of uh, city pride and regional pride as well. So I think that's what the entire Southern California is going to be feeling if the Padres and Dodgers do, in fact, meet in the National League DS. But I just got to say, you know, congratulations to the Padres. The Padres have been dying for this for a long, long time. Um, 14 years is like it feels like eternity in sports. You know, a 14-year drought is so, so long. So I'm just glad that that drought is over for the Padres. And, you know, I, I think this team, they're very talented. They've got a very good starting rotation led by Mike Clevenger. They've got a very good lineup with a lot of boppers from one all the way through nine with guys like Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, Will Myers, Fernando Tatis. 
And then they have a great bullpen with Trevor Rosenthal leading it and Drew Pomeranz and uh, Emilio Pagan as well. And, you know, you just got to give credit to the entire organization for making this happen. John, in perspective, and more so about that city pride or civic pride, again, like I said, San Diego kind of walking with their chest kind of puffed out for the first time in a long time. In perspective, uh, John, a picture I posted on my Instagram of my television after the Padres clinched the final out to go to the playoffs. And again, like I said, John, on the night shift last night, if my folks were home, they were traveling back home from me out of town for the weekend. If my folks were watching the game with me on Sunday, they would have said to me, Cowan, you look like you are expect a uh, expecting father because I was literally pacing back and forth in front of the television, walking laps around my living room because when you have not when you've been starved for playoff baseball and you live and die with your with, with the with your team and obviously with all your teams and you live and die with them for you know a long time trying to break a drought man, you get anxious and nervous and you forget how playoff baseball is when you're whether you're at the game or not. And John, the photo of my television has 137 likes on it on my Instagram page, just of, like I said, that city pride, that civilian pride being filled of like, we finally have a winner on the main tier of pro sports with the Padres. And also, man, more than anything else, though, as well, is as Isaiah and I had talked about on Sunday, John, was the long line of Padre fans assembling at Petco Park, masks on, thankfully, and abiding by guidelines, but they were all out there greeting Padre players, leaving the Padre player garage. Will Myers came, uh, came out on one of those um, uh, motorized scooters that lift offers, I think, or lemon or lime, whatever they're called. And he did a victory lap around the ballpark with all the fans. Fernando Tatis Jr. actually got out of his car and socially distanced up, but took a video on his phone of all the Padre fans lined up along the street to greet the players. Eric Hosmer, uh, Hosmer did the same thing driving by yesterday. So, John, more so not just about the Padres winning, man, but, John, what does something like this, though, in your mind do for a city that has, you know, been starving and thirsty and hungry and thirsty for a winning product on the sports field in your mind? Well, in a, in a unique year shaped by this pandemic, this is healing for a city. You know, this kind of stuff heals the wounds. Um with all that's going on, it takes your mind off of everything. It creates a distraction from real life. So, I mean, this is great for the city of San Diego. You know, their focus now is on the San Diego Padres and what this team has done. So it's gratifying to those players to see that they, you know, not only made the entire city happy, but that they also kind of contribute to the healing process in the city as well. So I think that means a lot to the fan base. You know, the fans did a good job, even though they weren't in attendance all season. They they did a good job to galvanize these guys. I think what we see is a special group of guys, uh, you know, who wanted to win, and they clinched a playoff berth. Uh, by doing that. So I think it's incredible uh, all the way around. It, it says a lot about the fan base. And, I mean, you know, you could say that the San Diego fan base had, had been tortured for many years. It was a tortured fan base. And now they're finally seeing something different. They're finally seeing a team that that 
could contend now. Um, there's finally a sense of optimism uh, around the city now. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of buzz. And again, with this being a pan pandemic year, this is huge for that city because, again, it creates a distraction and it takes a lot of, of worry off of those folks. You know, this is probably what they needed for uplifting and the San Diego Padres delivered for them. Isaiah, I will say, man, of course, you know, uh, the San Diego Gulls of the American Hockey League, they've had a couple playoff runs to kind of, as John said, they'll kind of in a way distract, uh, you know, uh, distract fans from the Padres' mediocrity, you know, in regards to, you know, their playoff runs. The San Diego Soccer's, of course, still winning championships in the indoor soccer ranks. Uh, lacrosse has come here at the pro level. So there's been other sports, Isaiah, to kind of distract San Diego sports fans from what the Padres weren't doing right over the past several years. And usually, you know, the talk used to be, well, you know, when August rolled around, it'd be all about the Chargers when they were here. But then, of course, that goes away. But Isaiah, you know, man, I guess, you know, further, you know, and I had said that, because, you know, um, a lot of, uh, like John said, though, Isaiah, fans unable to be at the game this year. But again, fans, though, have been uh, conjuring near the ballpark. Uh, there's, uh, you know, many uh, nearby bars that are able to look inside the ballpark, whether it's on top of a hotel or in center field. Uh, there's an office building that also uh, lets people in every so often. So Isaiah more so. Do you agree with John, though, in regards to uh, his thoughts about the Padres and way kind of taking a bit of a burden off of San Diego uh, sports fans and also long time? or born and raised San Diego residents in regards to sports? Yeah, I agree with John's points. You know, uh, it's been a very trying 2020. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff that has happened, a lot of bad stuff. And this, you know, really t helps the people take their minds off of what has been a really garbage year. You know, the people in San Diego, they've, you know, missed playoffs baseball for so many years you know a lot, I'm pretty sure a lot of people uh they honestly forgot about the San Diego well they didn't forget but they stopped caring about the Padres because some of the people were like you know it's been 14 years it's been eternity you know the Padres haven't done anything every time we get the we get our hopes up for them they always seem to let us down but they made the playoffs and now people can um people can go and take their minds off of what has been a really bad year and start rallying around this team once again. So with that, fellas, here's our first question of the night. With the Padres breaking their 14-year playoff drought, which lengthy postseason drought across sports is bound to end? Now with that, fellas, the uh, top four sports in America, so Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, and NHL, the droughts go as follows. The Mariners... 18 years of no playoffs. The Browns, 16 years of no postseason play. The Sacramento Kings, 13 years. And then the Buffalo Sabres in the NHL at eight years for the longest playoff drought. John, in your mind, out of those four major sports, which drought in your mind uh, that is of that length is bound to end sooner than later in your mind and why? John, you're muted, buddy. I would have to go with the Seattle Mariners. And the reason being, they got a lot of promising young players over there um, that's really starting to come into their own. I like what they've been able to accomplish, uh, uh, you know, with those young guys. I don't think their pitching is up to par, but that could also change too. Um, you know, all it takes is a few uh, 
upgrades and some, you know, big moves, and you're right in it. So I think the Mariners have a chance to end that drought and get back to the playoffs. Um, I don't think if they get back to the playoffs that they're going to be a, 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 a World Series contender. No way. But they definitely have a lot of names over there, um, you know, who's on the rise. And, you know, they have a young team. Uh, they look promising. And, you know, they are willing to uh, win ball games. So I like the Seattle Mariners uh, to make a surprise run in the near future. So Isaiah, John's going to go with the Seattle Mariners for breaking that lengthy 18-year playoff drought, probably 19 now if, in fact, it does not come to fruition this season. So Isaiah, again, the Padres break a 14-year drought. Again, the uh, list of long droughts, the Mariners at the tops right now, last qualifying in 2001, the Browns 2002, the Sacramento Kings 05-06, the Buffalo Sabres 2010-2011, Isaiah, out of the four major sports in North America, which drought probably in your mind comes to a conclusion sooner than later in your mind and why? I'm going to go with the Sacramento Kings because let's not forget, before this year, before uh, Luke Walton arrived, the Sacramento Kings last year or the year before uh, this uh, this season, the Sacramento Kings, they were on the cusp of making the postseason. They were led by a great head coach in Dave Yeager who had this team very hungry, playing very, very well. And, you know, guys like De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley doing very good and Buddy Heald as well. They got to the cusp of making that eighth seed in the Western Conference. This year, uh, they fell back a little but I think it was basic. Uh, it was mainly due to the fact that you know it was just their first year under Luke Walton. So I think that with another year uh, in Luke Walton's offense, uh, knowing what he expects of you as a player, I think that the Sacramento Kings, who have been close a few times towards making the playoffs, I think they will take that next step, even in the loaded Western Conference, and make that eighth seed next season. I'm going to agree with John and say the Mariners. I mean, the uh, the Mariners played San Diego very, very closely all uh, in all six of their, or uh, uh, I believe it was six games this year, and they were all very close. Uh, before the trade line, of course, where like half the Mariners roster came to San Diego and vice versa. But I mean, but I, I, I mean, I'll tell you what, Kyle Lewis is super fun to watch for the Seattle Mariners. I mean, that kid can rake. He's got speed, great glove in the outfield. Uh, if they're pitching, I think, John, much like the Angels, I think their pitching could be a bit better, as you would probably agree as well. But also, lineup looks great. Kyle Seeger, of course, I know he was in some in some trade talks earlier in the season. But I'll, I'll go with Seattle uh, with uh, that. And James Gonzalez, guys, uh, James wrote in, maybe the Browns, if they can put aside their egos. And that's definitely a good point. Mm -hmm. Isaiah wanted to add on uh, add on to his point about, this, uh, about the uh, playoff drought. Isaiah, what do you got for us? Yeah, I just wanted to add about the Mariners, and that is I don't think – I think they need a new manager before they can take that next step and make the Agreed. playoffs because, for me, Scott Service is just more of a player development manager. He's not a guy that's going to help you take that next step and start winning ball games. Agreed. Yeah, definitely agree, and I think that uh, he's probably overseen his welcome. I'm sure I think a lot of Mariner fans would agree with that aspect. But again, folks, give us your thoughts again, out of the four major U S sports, again, major league baseball, the NFL, the NBA, NHL, which lengthy playoff drought in your mind comes to a conclusion with the Padres breaking their 14 year playoff drought. As of uh, Sunday, the Mariners at 18 years, 
the Browns at 16 years, the Kings of the NBA at 13, or the Buffalo Sabres at eight years for the NHL. Give us your thoughts on that. We'll read those throughout the course of the show here tonight. With that, John, we'll segue over, man, to wrapping up our NFL Week 2 coverage tonight. As mentioned, John, a, uh, another great slate of games, some great upsets, a lot of great wins by a lot of favored ball clubs. Uh, John, give us probably the game or games in your mind that stood that stood out to you most over the course of the uh, slate on Sunday. John, you're muted, buddy. Still muted. There we go. You're good. You're good. A lot of these, a lot of these games have been interesting. I'm going to go with the Seahawks because I thought they played a very impressive game. Um, against the uh, Patriots. I mean, the Patriots kept it close. Um, they hung in there with the Seattle uh, Seahawks. But again, Russell Wilson had a mesmerizing performance. He was simply remarkable. Um, you know what? He's a great quarterback. It's time to give him the, the love that he deserves uh, because he is leading this team. He has a lot of poise. He, you know, he plays with a lot of heart. And I think this team, you know, has a lot of, you know, has a lot of great chemistry. Um, Pete Carroll has done a terrific job as the head coach. Um, I like everything that I'm seeing from this, this Seahawks team. And in what is shaping up to be the toughest division probably in football, um, you know, the Seahawks are going to really be battle-tested against teams like the 49ers, although the 49ers are battered by injuries. Um, then you have the Rams, who looked impressive. That's another team who's been impressive to start the season. And we all know, under Sean McVay, they've been able to get off to fast starts. The thing is, with the Rams, is it sustainable? And then you have the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, again, Josh Allen, man, watch out for this guy. He threw, what, over 400 yards for four touchdowns? That's insane. You know, um, he's really starting to emerge into a franchise quarterback, and I think he definitely has the elite stuff, uh, you know, to do amazing things. Uh, again, the Buffalo Bills have seen, um, you know, a transformation as well since – the arrival of Sean McDermott, who has done a tremendous job there as well. So I think with these new coaches that are in place, I think what it's done, it has helped with not only team development, but it has changed the entire culture for teams like the Buffalo Bills, uh, teams like um, the Seahawks, and, and, and teams like the Rams, you know. And so um, – those are the teams that stand out to me the most. Uh, the the teams that look like a mess still um, to me that I that I don't think is is worthy of the playoffs just yet are the Cleveland Browns. I just don't buy into them. I mean, like like one of our guests said uh, earlier, they have to put their egos aside. There's that's the problem with with the Browns. There's too much talent on one team, and these guys are going to eventually hit a collision course. They're going to start bumping heads, and it's going to be all bad for the Cleveland Browns. But when you look at the Buffalo Bills and when you look at 
the Seattle Seahawks and the the LA Rams. Um, these are teams that's really really impressive. The Falcons, they don't have a defense that can stop anything. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the passing attack. They just look terrible. There's no way you squander a 20-point lead. Just no way. And how how crazy is it not to be able to recover an onside kick? That is a, the that onside kick debacle is something that's going to be talked about for a very long time. And quite frankly, they made a mockery out of themselves. The the Falcons did. I just don't buy into them either. That was why, John, I put that gif of Squidward banging his head on the on the cash register because that was like that was the ultimate letdown play of the day. Was that squandered um, onside kick by the Falcons? So Isaiah, John gave us a couple of uh, a pretty good list there, mainly Buffalo, the Rams, and also the uh, Seahawks late win over the Pats yesterday. Isaiah, what game or games from Week Two stood out in your mind uh, from the slate of games on Sunday? Well, for me, couple uh, games stood out. Number one, the Broncos Steelers game. I mean, the Steelers. I mean, the Broncos had a chance to win that game. I think they were down twenty-five to twenty in the fourth quarter with about two minutes left in that ball game, and they had they were driving. Uh, their defense did a phenomenal job of getting them the ball back uh, to put them in a position where they could win the ball game. And Drew, I'm not Drew Lock. Uh, Jeff Driscoll came in after Drew Lock left after he was hit. Really Really hard by Bud Dupree in that first quarter. Jeff Jeff Driscoll came in and, you know, he was driving the Broncos down the field, but he, uh, on fourth and two, missed his wide open running back for an easy eight-yard gain that would have not only gotten them the first down, but I believe would have, would have put them very close uh, to the end zone to score a potential game-winning touchdown. I just think that the Broncos, with all their bad luck and all their injuries that they suffered in yesterday's game, Drew Locke, he's going to be out three to six weeks with a sprained AC joint in his shoulder. That is a massive loss. They're already without Vaughn Miller. Uh, they just lost Cortland Sutton to a torn ACL, which was very surprising because yesterday the guy played the whole game and – like, I guess he played through a torn ACL. So very gutsy performance by him. Uh, kudos to him for that. But the Broncos are in trouble, man. The team that I picked to win the AFC West is is in trouble. That pick looks dumber by the day. I mean, the Broncos, they might – yeah, the Broncos, they might start 0-8. And Vic Fangio, I think, could be – fired by midseason, which is very unfortunate because he's one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. Um, the other, uh, you know, games or not game, but the other thing that really stood out for me was all the injuries that happened in uh, the NFL. You know, there was Saquon getting hurt. He's out for the year. Christian McCaffrey, he's out for the next four to six weeks. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he's week to week, but they're most likely not going to play him for the next two, three weeks. And Nick Bosa tearing his ACL. There were just a ton of star injuries left and right. Like literally every uh, every. Uh, I was watching Red Zone, and every time I was watching a game, there would be like a news alert that some star had gotten hurt. So it just shows you 
that the preseason is very important. You know, a lot of people said that I don't think we need a preseason. Well, they're wrong because look at what's happening to everybody. Everybody's just falling, and it's just not fun to watch. With that, folks, a quick game break from Monday Night Football in Vegas. It's the Raiders on top of the Saints, 31-17 fourth quarter from the Roomba, a.k.a. Allegiant Stadium in Paradise, Nevada. A uh, great place there to catch a game, it looks like. But uh, with that, uh, guys, James Gonzalez writes in with his three games, Falcons-Cowboys, Vikings-Colts, Chiefs-Chargers, because Falcons-Falconing, Kurt Cousins against stealing money from Minnesota, and the Chiefs being rusty and just holding on in overtime over the former uh, football team in San Diego, California. Isaiah has to make a point. What is it, bud? Yeah, I want to talk about the Vikings. I forgot to talk about them. You know, I last week I came on the show after uh, the Packers completely beat the brakes off the Vikings and their defense. I said that, you know, I was reversing my take and I was going to say that the Vikings, I don't believe that the Minnesota Vikings are going to make the playoffs. Well, I stand by that claim. I don't think the Vikings are going to make the playoffs. Their defense has looked horrific the last uh the first two weeks of the season you know after if they had performed uh really bad in the first week and they had rebounded uh in the second week you could have just chalked that up to being a fluke performance but back-to-back -back weeks of just getting crushed by not mobile quarterbacks but veteran stationary quarterbacks and Aaron Rodgers at an aging Philip Rivers. There is a lot of serious issues right now with that Minnesota Vikings defense and Kirk Cousins, man. He started out really slow last week in the Packers game. He picked it back up, but most of that performance, uh, not performance, but most of the yards that he accumulated and the touchdowns that he threw were in garbage time, so it didn't really, really matter. And in this game, he follows it up by throwing three picks. So uh, the Vikings, they are in trouble. They need to uh, – Kirk Cousins has got to better, got to be better quick, and they've got to somehow, someway fix that defense, or else the Minnesota Vikings are going to finish below your Bears, Callan. Chicago uh, is the game that stands out for me uh, with me rooting for Chicago uh, by virtue of family ties back to the great city of Chicago. But still, though, nearly blowing a 17 nothing lead against the Giants was uh, about gave me a heart attack. I wanted to throw my computer against the wall. Like, what are you guys doing out there? But also, I think, you know, guys, it's hard not to put uh, also pick the Atlanta-Dallas game because, again, fellas, for the second time in a very brief stretch, we see the Falcons once again incrementally give a game away with them up by 20-plus points. And, again, this is all by virtue mainly, fellas, of that onside kick. Like, how in the world does that happen, guys? It was so bad. Arthur Blank, the owner, was heard on Atlanta local on a local radio in Atlanta, I guess, saying that they didn't have the right team out there. Why is the owner even commenting on that is beyond me. But hey, like uh, James Gonzalez says, fellas, the Falcons will Falcon, much like how the Clippers will clip in the NBA playoffs. But with that, Isaiah, we'll let you have the floor now to talk about all the injuries plaguing your beloved San Francisco 49ers. All right, so I'm going to go through each injury, and I'll uh, tell you guys what I think the Niners need to do. When you look at all the injuries that the Niners have suffered, one might say that the Niners' season is over, and it you know, very well might be over, but that's going to depend on the next three, four games. 
So what happened yesterday was the Niners, Nick Bosa, obviously the biggest loss, superstar pass rusher. He tore his ACL. I mean, you can't replace a guy that is a caliber of Nick Bosa. You just can't. You can't find a pass rusher off the street and, you know, put him in to the edge rushing position. And voila, he'll be the next Nick Bosa. There's just no replacing Nick Bosa. The 49ers defense is going to take a major, major hit Without Nick Bosa, they're going to have to rely on that offense to carry the load. And then you move on to Solomon Thomas. Uh, this guy plays um, on the inside of the defensive line. He's the guy that tries to get the double teams on the inside to let the pass rushers uh, on the edge, D Ford and the Nick Bosa's of the world, go rush the quarterback. He tore his ACL. I think what the 49ers should do uh, in this spot is that, first of all, you know, I know we're not supposed to uh, laugh at injuries or praise injuries, but to be honest, I think this could be a blessing in disguise because Solomon Thomas hasn't done nothing as a San Francisco 49er ever since the guy was drafted. Um, you know, last week on No BS, I was clamoring for the 49ers to bench him because he did absolutely nothing in their game against the Cardinals. He didn't get and generate any pressure up front. He wasn't stopping the run. Guys were running by him. It was just terrible. Uh, I think what the Niners need to do now is put Javon Kinlaw, our rookie draft pick that we picked in uh, the last in the NFL draft, and we need Javon Kinlaw. Last week against Arizona was absolutely mauling people out there. Arizona had to double team him; they had to even triple team him at one point in that game. And uh, in this game too, he was doing the same thing. So he's a force on the inside. If you put Kinlaw on the inside, those pass rushers. Um, in on the edge, I believe will get great push. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that's the biggest injury. You know, he didn't, he's not out for the year, but he hurt his ankle yesterday on a really, really late hit by that Jets defender. Uh, he suffered a high ankle sprain. According to Ian Rappaport, there is good news that he, like he, his injury wasn't that severe. He still has an outside shot of playing this week. But if I'm the 49ers, I am not playing Jimmy Garoppolo this week or even next week or even the week later because, you know, that ankle is already gimpy. One more hit to that ankle and it could be broken and you could lose Jimmy Garoppolo for the season. We, need, we don't need Jimmy Garoppolo now. We need Jimmy Garoppolo for when we reach – or for like the games against the Rams or the Seahawks or the Cardinals or even the Patriots late in the season. We can we can afford Jimmy Garoppolo to take the next three to four games off and save him for the postseason. But, fellas, I'm telling you guys this right now. The 49ers backup quarterback, Nick Mullins, who's going to stand in for Jimmy Garoppolo this Sunday. A lot of people have been clamoring for Nick Mullins to be the 49ers starter for uh, the past couple of seasons. You know, Nick Mullins is he's really has a high IQ. He's got great pocket awareness. He was very rusty yesterday, but after he calmed down, he looked like a franchise quarterback. I mean, this guy was throwing darts. He was getting the ball out quick. I think that if Nick Mullins in the next three, four games, the 49ers have uh, the Giants this week, then they've got the Philadelphia Eagles, another bad team, and then the Miami Dolphins, another bad team. If Nick Mullins can go out there and ball out, like I told Callum last night, there could be a major con quarterback controversy in San Francisco, and I think this could have been the last we've seen out of Jimmy G in uh, Santa Clara. Uh, and the other injuries, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, 
uh, MCL sprain and sprained knee. That's going to be a huge loss because, you know, the 49ers rely on those two guys as primary running backs, but they do have the depth to, uh, you know, help them uh, salvage that loss. And then Drake Greenlaw, an ankle, we don't know how he's going to do, but that's also a big loss because, you know, he's one of our linebackers in our 4-3 defense. So the defense is going to be crippled. But I think the next three games, the Niners are going to be fine simply because they're playing really bad opponents and they do have talent on offense. Nick Mullins, all he needs to do is just manage the football game and not turn the ball over. If he can do that, I believe that he will go 3-0 and in the next three games. And I honestly do not believe Jimmy Garoppolo will get his job back. Uh, John, with that in mind, buddy, uh, you know, yesterday or on Sunday was a very alarming rate of injuries, as Isaiah had kind of in a way alluded to earlier on in the segment here. And with that, folks, um, we'll put this question up for all of us to chew on here. Uh, but, John, what do you believe is the biggest reason behind the slew of injuries from week two? Because I believe, man, we're looking at 21 players, 21 players over the stretch of Sunday slate of games being injured, notably guys like Bosa and the two other players from the 49ers. We had uh, Saquon Barkley of the Giants go out of the game with a torn ACL. We had other guys suffer uh, dings and uh, bumps and bruises as well. Uh, Tyrod Taylor with the uh, Chargers, literally not uh, told he was not going to start five minutes before the game due to chest problems. Justin Herbert thrown into the fire as a rookie quarterback, played a great game for the Chargers, but they ultimately lose to KC. So, John, I look at it this way. The lack of a offseason, the lack of uh, time together due to the pandemic, the amount of time players were working out via Zoom and not having any actual physical contact uh, over the offseason, the amount of time that has been limited to padded practices where they can actually go up there and hit each other and things like that, John, has contributed to this influx of injuries. And also, I think, John, Mike Tomlin, he had a lot of legitimate concerns early on in the offseason, and right now, Mike Tomlin looks like a freaking genius because he even said that a lot of the rookies that were just coming into the NFL would be slow to adapt to game speed uh, because of them doing Zoom style workouts on their own time. Things like that. And probably guys, John, not taking those workouts probably to full uh, in all seriousness, probably to full, uh, full bore 100%. So, John, what do you believe? is the biggest reason behind the slew of injuries just this week alone in the NFL game where 21 players went down with an injury on Sunday, at least in the NFL. Well, you know, football's a very violent and physical sport. So you're going to have injuries. You can't go a season without a slew of injuries. That's just not going to happen. I think why people are overreacting to these injuries is because they're happening so frequently, so fast, and they're happening in the first or second week of football um, at such an alarming rate. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they didn't really have time for workouts, that they really didn't get a chance to get their get their bodies conditioned for the hits, for the, the violent collisions. You know, they didn't really uh, get together for the preseason. Uh, and, you know, I think that kind of took a toll on these guys' bodies. You talk about injuries, um, it's, it's happening to high-profile players. Uh, you know, Jimmy G, high ankle sprain. Uh, 49ers defensive back, Nick Bosa, knee. Uh, Broncos quarterback, Drew Locke, shoulder. Uh, these are all 
crushing blows to these teams. You know, you talk about Saquon Barkley, who's probably the the heart of that offense. Um, me, um, you know, these are players who uh, play a significant role to these teams. So, but I think a lot of it has to do with um, the the limited workouts. Um, you know, not having enough time. Uh, you know, uh, to get their bodies ready for, um, you know, these games. And it has really, really uh, caught up to them. And it's just something that's going to happen. You're going to have injuries um, in a game like this. It's the nature of the game. Isaiah, I know that we're going to have injuries in any sport or every sport that you play or any sport you play. But I think, though, man, the alarming number of injuries, though, in one single day of action, I don't think has been top or has been like, I, I don't recall a day, fellas, where like every single game, there was at least one big notable injury. And I'm sure it's happened, though. But Isaiah, John's on a great point, though. The fact, though, it was so many star players that were injured over the course of the Sunday slate, man, raises concern and probably thinks sounds off the alarm that I think that this all leads back, gentlemen, to what I had already said, though, in regards to limited time with actual contact. Uh, a lot of things going on, of course, the pandemic, uh, Zoom, uh, you know, Zoom workouts um, and things like that. So, uh, Isaiah, what do you think in regards to uh, mainly the uh, issues here, again, with that uh, very rough day of action? Again, 21 players all injured uh, during uh, this past Sunday for the NFL. I think it's a few factors. I think number one, it's just uh, football being a violent sport and these injuries are bound to happen. I mean, just look at uh, Nick Bosa's injury. Nick Bosa, um, with with if you had all the OTAs and training camp and preseason, uh, his injuries wasn't like it wasn't a factor of no OTAs and stuff like that. Like his injuries would have happened regardless. What happened was his foot got stuck in that turf as uh, one of the offensive linemen was tr uh, was trying to hit him. So his foot was stuck and I guess uh, his knee bent one way and his body bent the other. So that would have happened regardless. But I think a lot of the injuries hap uh, happened because as you guys mentioned, you know, there was no OTAs. There was not really a lot of workouts. People had to stay at home and work out at home. And you can't really work out at home to simulate what happens in a football game. You just can't. Agreed. So I think uh, one of the factors is because of that. And another factor is, um, you know, there's just no preseason. There, you had no preseason uh, to ramp up. Uh, you had like training camp, but it was a limited training camp to ramp up. Uh, you like guys weren't hitting uh, guys from other teams, guys, uh, some uh, teams ha even had their players not even doing uh, hard hitting practices until the final three weeks before the first game of the regular season. Guys just weren't conditioned. Guys, bodies just weren't ramped up. It's like baseball, man. It's like why we had so many arm injuries in baseball uh, at, at the beginning of this season, because like guys, you had a shortened training camp, guys, arms just weren't ramped up and you put them out there to start throwing 90 miles an hour or like 98, 99 and a hundred and having them to go like six, seven innings when normally they would be going 
three innings for one or not three innings, like two innings, one spring training game. And then the next spring training game goes four innings. And then you ramp, you slowly ramp them up, but you had to push these guys to get ready for the season because of all the no act, no off season activity due to the COVID pandemic. James Gonzalez fellows writes in and uh, then John will let me make, uh, make your point about the injury woes. Football players have it the worst with the risk that they take playing the game, and it's an insult that some players have non-guaranteed contracts. I definitely agree with that. And I would also say that hockey is a very close sport as well, fellas, with the injuries. But right now, nothing really has come out of the uh, NHL, and also they've had, again, another uh, another great week of no positive tests up in Edmonton. Uh, but, John, let's go to you now to, uh, for, you to, uh, for you to add on to your point about the injury woes. You know, we really don't appreciate – things until it's gone you know we we complained about how preseason caused these players to uh sustain injury but now we're calling for preseason uh now that it's not here and what preseason does it helps strengthen you know it helps strengthen and and prepare the body so they so that these players will be able to absorb hits and you know, we're seeing injuries left and right because they didn't have time to strengthen their bodies and get prepared to absorb those hits. Definitely agree. And now, Isaiah, I think we all look like idiots here for saying that we probably don't need an NFL preseason after the first week. Isaiah, I think we need to uh, walk back those comments and say we do need an NFL preseason now after what we have seen. Again, 21 injuries in one day of football this past Sunday. Yeah, Callan, we all do need to walk back those words. You know, I mean, I went, I think it was the after the first game of the season on no BS, I said that, you know, I don't think we even need a preseason. We could just go to the regular season. And I didn't know that my words would have uh, major consequences. And just look at it now, you know, first two weeks, we've gotten like so many star players going, like getting hurt. Now teams like all, across the board in the NFL are going to have to adjust and adapt because of all these injuries. So uh, it's football just won't be the same without these star players. But, hey, this is what, you know, coming into the season, this is what we all said this 2020 season was going to be about. It's about who could adapt and adjust to the different circumstances the best because the winner of the Super Bowl will be the team that can adjust and adapt to all the adversity that they faced uh, throughout this entire season. That was for the three of us saying that we didn't need an NFL preseason, fellas. So all three of us are taking the uh, brunt end of a stick for those comments made earlier on. Uh, but again, folks, a very rough day for football uh, this past Sunday, where again, 21 rough day for my picks players. Too. 21 players going down with injury. And um, Isaiah, can you say that one more time, please? Yeah, I was just going to say it was a rough day for injuries and it was a rough day for me because all my preseason picks and all the hype that I was giving people, all are going down the drain. And especially Isaiah in our pigskin pick is where we're me and Trevor are still fighting Stephen Wang for first place right now in the pool for our uh, weekly selections, uh, which by the way, folks actually brings me to a great point though, that Isaiah was going to lead into or was leading me into uh, folks starting on Friday on no BS. We're going to be adding a fantasy football segment uh, over the course of either Wednesday on uh, WST and also on Friday. 
as well for no BS. We'll work on that as well later, gents, as well. But with that, let's now focus into the reason as to why Mr. Mathis sounds so under the weather with that uh, froggy throat. It is the L.A. Lakers and Anthony Davis's game-winning buzzer-beating three as the Lakers survive the Denver Nuggets. 105-103 on Sunday. The Lakers again squandering up a 16-point lead and also coughing up an 8-point lead with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. All this by Wake, fellas, as I have said or said um, back on Sunday on the night shift was, I think due to, I think, John, a very fortunate possession where, again, the Lakers down by one, drive down the floor, 20 seconds, uh, 20 seconds left. LeBron kicks it out to Rondo on top, then to Caruso on top from right down the middle, right down Broadway. His three to, to go ahead is off the front rim. The rebound, fortunately, goes to Danny Green, who tries to turn around, uh, a turnaround shot of a tie. Jamal Murray whops it out of bounds, and then the, uh, they, they make subs. And then, of course, Rondo is in the game. And with 2.1 left, perfect inbound bounce pass to Anthony Davis. And Davis is nothing but net. Game winning three at the buzzer. And, of course, the uh, famous shot now, I think, of uh, AD running down the floor and yelling Kobe after he made that game winning three just said it all and gave me goosebumps listening to John Ireland's call on ESPN LA 710. But, John, like we have said, though, buddy, the Lakers once can get a wee bit too relaxed with a big lead. They fall behind. And some man can pull it out. And Anthony Davis, I believe, has totally etched his name in Laker lore because of that game-winning three. John, overall thoughts on the game? And above all, man, how about the final possessions for the Lakers? One that nearly cost them the game and one that ultimately won them the game on Sunday. Yes. the You know, the Lakers could easily be down. I mean, the Lakers could easily uh, see the series tied 1-1. Um, you know, had Anthony Davis not had that monster performance that he had. I mean, he pinned a masterpiece. It was uh, just epic to watch this game. And, you know, there was times in this game as a fan that I wanted to give up on the Lakers. And, you know, I was just going to like, I, I was going to turn the game off because I didn't think they was going to pull it out in the end. I, I thought by letting Denver back in the game, um, and letting them hang around that Denver would take it from them because Denver has been known to do those type of things. Denver is a very resilient team. And, you know, um, it could easily become a battle of complacency versus uh, resiliency, um, you know, if the Lakers squandered big leads. And that's something that the Lakers um, have a habit of doing. They made a habit of letting go of big leads and they can't do that against a very very good nuggets team that never quits they don't give in they they just never give up and you know jokic did a good job in that game he scored the nuggets final 11 points in that game if i'm correct and he did everything he could to try to will his team to victory. But there was just too much Anthony Davis. And that game-winning shot puts him in Laker lore for sure. And you know what? I kind of called the shot before it happened because I said on, on my Facebook uh, timeline, is it going to be a Robert Ory moment? Is it going to be a Meta World Peace moment? And sure enough, it was an Anthony Davis moment 
What a shot. Um, that's why my voice is shot right now because of that shot. Um, I, you know, went bananas when he made the shot. I went crazy. Uh, you know, it, it was just a sense of relief, but it was also a spectacular finish to a basketball game. Um, it started off great for the Lakers, and then it kind of became a nail-biter towards the end. But the Lakers, again, you know, were bailed out by the incredible play of Anthony Davis, and, and Davis did everything he can, uh, <clears throat> you know, to uh, put this team on his back, and he helped them grind out the victory in the end. You know, that was just a wonderful shot. Um you can't say enough about Anthony Davis, um, you know, a dominance, his ability to play for a full 48 minutes until the very end. Um, he never gives up on a play. He continues to play his heart out. And what you see in this guy is a guy who wants to win. Um, you know, this is his first time in the Western Conference Finals, and he's having the games of his life. You saw what he did in game one, just a, a great performance by him. And then in game two, he has another great performance um, with a, a, a game-winning shot at the end that gave the Lakers a 2-0 lead in this series. The Lakers could have easily been battling tomorrow night to try to go up two games to one. Instead, they have a chance to take a commanding 3-0 lead thanks to Anthony Davis and his – uh, brilliance in that game yesterday. Isaiah, there's three possessions in this game for the Lakers that stick out in my mind. And even with the Padres winning yesterday, and I saw the, the game-winning shot, and I yelled yes at the top of my lungs and scared the whole household. But Isaiah, there was three possessions, though, that stand out and still will be with, well, with me until tomorrow's game on Tuesday when the Lakers, in fact, played Denver for game three of the conference final is one, Davis made that same exact shot earlier in the fourth quarter. Same spot, money three, nothing but net. But again, man, I looked, though, at that possession before the winning shot. After the Nuggets go up by a point, 20.8 to go in the game, LeBron brings the ball up. And I think, honestly, probably a moment where LeBron probably thinks I should not have passed right there, but he passed it out to Rondo. Shot clock winding down as well. Rondo then dishes off to... Alex Caruso, who I think had a hell of a game and has looked very good with the Lakers this whole season, especially in the bubble. But Caruso, wide open three from right down the middle, a little bit short off the front rim, but the Lakers get fortunate that the Nuggets overjump the rebound and somehow Danny Green gets the, gets the ball. The clock's still winding down and Green puts up a shot to give them the lead for two. But Murray, with the fly swatter, knocks out of bounds. So there's 2.1 left. But also, Isaiah, what gets overlooked here is Mike Malone, brought in Plumley to shut down the defense or at least play shut down defense. And there was a mis there was miscommunication on the defensive switch and Davis got free perfect inbound by Rondo to find Davis and AD catches that ball. And it's nothing but net again, case closed in the clutch. The Lakers win the game walk off style one Oh five, one Oh three. So Isaiah mainly man in the last minute, what possession probably still stands out other than the game-winning shot by Davis, the one that he made earlier in the fourth quarter or the one that set up the game-winning three in your mind? I think it's the one that uh, set up the 
game-winning shot because without that possession and without Danny Green getting that rebound, the Lakers would have lost that game because the Nuggets, if they get the rebound, they would have been fouled, probably make the free throws. And then uh, I believe the Lakers would have had maybe uh, 0.9 seconds left to try to get a game-winning shot. That would have been really, really tough. So the Lakers are very, very fortunate that Denver overjumped it and Danny Green uh, snuck in and got that rebound. But I'm going to tell you guys this. The Lakers need to – like the Lakers are very, very fortunate to have come out of this with a W. Because let me tell you guys this. Like I said on um, the night shift last night, the Los Angeles Lakers, I believe, should have lost this game by eight to nine points. If those Denver Nuggets could have hit their free throws, the Denver Nuggets missed like what thirteen free throws, Callen, in that fourth quarter. It was so bad, man. Like the if they hit number. all the, I don't know the exact number, but man, they missed a lot of free throws though in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they missed a lot of free throws in that fourth quarter. If they had sunk those free throws, the Lakers would have been looking at a tied series. But fortunately for the Lakers, they didn't. Um, with this or with his game-winning shot, like I said last night on, on uh, the night shift as well, Anthony Davis has been forever put in Lakers lore Forever. I don't care, you know, if he leaves the Lakers after this season to go to the, his hometown Chicago Bulls or he goes somewhere else. The Anthony Davis will forever be remembered for what he did in game two. That shot is going to def define him for the rest of his life. John, back over to you real quick. Again, folks, uh, the Lakers uh, escaping with a 105-103 victory over the Denver Nuggets again, uh, thanks to an Anthony Davis clutch three at the final horn uh, to win the ball game. John, uh, honestly, man, in your mind, for Denver's sake, how demoralizing of a loss is this in your mind when you're that close to pulling off another one of your trademarked comebacks in the postseason, but it ends because of a game-winning three? John, how demoralizing might this loss be for the Denver Nuggets in your mind. John, you're muted. Colin, this is so demoralizing that it might seem like all hope is lost. Um, how do you recover from this is the question. Uh, do the Nuggets have what it takes to rebound from this? If there's one team that can come back and fight off a loss like this, it is the Denver Nuggets. We've seen it all postseason um, with these Nuggets. They never quit. They Again, they don't give up. But I think after that shot, I think that did it right there. I, I think that shot dictated the outcome of this series. I really do. I, I don't see how you can I don't see how you can recover from this. I mean, because that's heartbreaking to to you know almost pull out the victory. You were you were a shot you was a shot away from you know winning that game, from pulling it out and tying the series. And now you're in a two-hole hole, and now your backs are against the wall that you have to win tomorrow. I just think the Lakers are just too strong of a team. They're hungry. They're laser focused. Um, you know, they 
they're they're not gonna let the Nuggets back in the series. I just don't see it happening. I think Anthony Davis' shot was was a boost of momentum for the Lakers moving forward, and I think you know it gives them all the ammunition moving forward. I, I just don't see Denver um, really recovering at all from this. Isaiah, I believe the NBA the NBA on ESPN account reshared one of my favorite press conferences of recent memory. And that was, of course, it, it still pains me to say it, but the late, great Kobe Bryant fellows after the Lakers were up two games to none on the Magic in 2009, I believe. And a reporter had kind of asked him, a, you know, a snippy question, like, you know, why are you not smiling? You know, you're up two games to none. And Kobe's pretty much said, what's there to be happy about? Job's not done yet. And I, and I hope that the Lakers keep that mentality going that you're up 2-0, yes, but the job is not done yet with you being up two games to none. But Isaiah... What do you think, though, about this for the Denver Nuggets psyche, though, in regards to, you know, what kind of, you know, what does this do for a team like Denver? Very young team, fun to watch for sure. But also, Isaiah, this is probably a demoralizing loss. And I think it probably, like John said, though, Isaiah, probably, I think, just rips the heart right out of the Denver Nuggets. Because not just that, Isaiah, like I've said, though, bud, they've played, in the first two rounds, they played 14 games. They have played back-to-back game sevens. And I think that, sadly, that gas gauge is you know, going all the way to the empty side because, man, I don't know how much longer they can honestly keep us going. Now, again, job's not done yet, not done yet, but Isaiah, how demoralizing is this loss, though, for Denver when they were within a couple of seconds and maybe a missed uh, Davis three from at least time a series up at a game apiece? This is as deflating of a loss as there can be. I completely agree with John. I think that Anthony Davis's three sunk the Nuggets. I think this series is over. I wouldn't be surprised. I know you can't count on the Nuggets, but right. you know, in all the Nuggets games that they've played, they haven't had to suffer a demoralizing loss as this one. And you know, there's just something about. Uh, game winners that are just so hard to come back from. You know, the Denver Nuggets fought their butt off. Uh, They were down really big in this game. I think they were down like 15 or 16 in the second half, and they rallied back. And, you know, they were so close to getting this win and tying this series just for Anthony Davis to rip their hearts out. So I believe that this series is over. Um, I think that uh, the Denver Nuggets are going to be so deflated still from uh, what happened in game two that I don't really believe that they're going to come out to play in uh, game three. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a blowout in game three from the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, very demoralizing, I think, fellas, because as we said, you know, it's a young team like Denver and, you know, they've come back before, fellas, but honestly now, after that shot, though, in that moment, that close to victory, that one that's one that, that hurts, and that, that's one that hurts. It's, it hurts, it stings, and also it stays up here longer than it probably should. But again, folks, the Lakers winning 105-103 on Sunday to go up two games to none on the Denver Nuggets. Uh, John and Isaiah, final topic for tonight for the show. And I, I have, I've kind of chuckled at this story a little bit, but per two reports gathered, one from Jack Maloney of CBS Sports and also from Shams the Athletic. Concerning the L.A. Clippers, I'm going to read the story here, folks, courtesy of Jack Maloney on CBSSports.com. The Clippers season came to an end nearly a week ago, but the fallout continues from their embarrassing 
collapse in the second round in which they blew a 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets. The latest report gives us some insight into the scene in the locker room following that Game 7 loss to Denver. As the team tried to make sense of what happened, Paul George gave a speech in which he implored the group to stay together and come back next season to chase the championship again. The message was not well received by teammates. Per the support, I'm going to read now from the Athletics' Shams Sharina. His report reads the following. Multiple teammates had verbal spats with George throughout the postseason, citing in their exchanges a lack of accountability from PG-13. In the postgame locker room on Tuesday night, George was preaching to teammates to remain committed for all the players to return to the team this offseason and stay ready to make another run. It was met by some eye rolls and also further bewilderment, sources said, because George did not back up his words with action in the series, and the team has multiple free agents with decisions to make. George scored 10 points on 4 of 16 shooting and 2 of 11 from beyond the arc in the Game 7 loss. Part of George's statement here reads the following. Quote, we can only get better the longer we stay together and the more we're around each other. I think that's really the tail of the tape of the season. We just didn't have enough time together, close quote. As Shams does in fact note, George was a utter disaster in Game 7 along with Kawhi Leonard. And not only did George have more turnovers, five, than baskets in the game, four, he scored a whopping zero points in the fourth quarter as the Clippers gave away yet another double-digit lead. While George was pretty solid for most of the series against Denver, his run-ins with teammates and poor play when it mattered most made it up uh, unsurprising that other players were, weren't interested in hearing a rah-rah speech from him at their lowest point. As a singular event, this really isn't that big of a deal. Coworkers being, uh, being annoyed with each other in a stressful moment happens all the time, especially in sports. However, the big problem, though, guys, for the Clippers is that little issues like this were a common occurrence for them with whispers about their chemistry issues starting just a few months into the season starting. Initially, it seemed like their talent would win out and that even if they weren't all best friends, they would be good enough to still win a championship. That was obviously not the case. And it appears these issues are serious enough to where the Clippers will have to address them in the upcoming offseason. So, John, a lot of revelations there from the uh, Clippers locker room in Game 7. And once again, man, just again shows you how dysfunctional and unaccountable this L.A. Clippers team was this season by virtue of, again, of all the issues with Marcus Morris and Luka Doncic, uh, Luka and Montrez Harrell, uh, you know, pep, you know, Lemon Pepper Wing Lou, and everyone else on this roster just, you know, dumpster fire after dumpster fire after dumpster fire into a utter dumpster fire, again, blowing yet another 3-1 series. And, oh, by the way, their head coach has blown three 3-1 leads in his career, now one, one in Orlando and now two with the Clippers organization. So, John, a lot to unpack there, buddy, from Shams and Jack Maloney of CBS Sports. John, any insight, any thoughts on the uh, – uh, on that story again, where pretty much uh, players kind of looking at Paul George after the speech and kind of saying, who the hell are you to say that? This is indication that this team needs to be breaking up. Um, it is what it is. You got to break it up now. Um, if it's this dysfunctional and if chemistry is really that bad, 
then it's time for a change. And it may start with Doc Rivers. I mean, Doc Rivers it has been there long enough. Uh, you just shared his stat record with all of us. And that is a red flag. You've blown 3-1 leads. Your teams have blown 3-1 leads. And you was part of a Clipper team that's blown two 3-1 leads. Um, I think it calls for a structural change. If the Clippers want to move forward and are serious about winning a championship to raise their first ever banner in the Raptors, well, then a lot's going to have to change. And by Paul George pleading for players to remain committed to the Clippers sounds like a guy who is desperate. Sounds like a guy who did wrong. And maybe, I don't know, because I wasn't there, but maybe he didn't take accountability. You know, and maybe a lot of the players feel betrayed by something he's done in the locker room. I don't know. But I know that these guys have been bumping heads and it it's not good for a team. Um, it's just a lot of dysfunction. It's a lot of, um, it, it sounds like there's a lot of um, division and that there's a lot of players who can't put their egos aside. And that <clears throat> is a problem for the Clippers. It, it's, an, it's an alarming sign that things are not good there, um, you know, and this collapse was a sign that something was going on that we didn't really know about. And here, here it is. We're hearing about this new drama that is unfolding, um, specifically surrounding Paul George, who is one of the superstars on the team. Um, you know, the Clippers are going to have to go back to the drawing board and they're going to have a busy offseason trying to figure out things, which direction they want to go in because something's going to have to change. And I think it's time that you break up this team and, and, and see where you go from there. Isaiah, this is a very interesting talking point here, man, because I know that a lot of people have wanted to trash the chemistry of the Clippers organization, or at least the Clippers this year. I know that you were a very big vocal leader of that movement earlier on uh, when the Clippers had, in fact, lost Game 7. But Isaiah, now, man, with this report coming out from CBS Sports and via Shams of the Athletic, though, I think, man, this kind of, in a way, magnifies that maybe the chemistry was not there because you have guys butting heads, like John said, maybe some division amongst, you know, I'm on Kawhi's side or I'm on Paul George's side. You know, and that stuff can't happen, man, in professional sports. You know, you can't have guys playing for themselves or playing or pockets of individuals playing amongst themselves, though. And James Gonzalez, guys, has a great point. If I was in that locker room, I would have beat up Paul George for saying those remarks. And also, Christy agrees. Time to completely rebuild the Clippers. I don't think there is any other option in my mind. So, Isaiah, I know that we're probably – we were, were probably a little bit quick to jump the gun about, you know, chemistry being a factor. But Isaiah, 
With this new report, man, does that change your mind maybe that maybe chemistry was actually at the heart of the Clippers again collapsing in a postseason series? Well, for me, I just think that if if I was one of the teammates of uh, Paul George, when I heard that speech, my first reaction would be like, who the hell are you to tell me what to do, man? Like you say one thing and then you do the opposite. I mean, this guy said he was loyal to Oklahoma City and then he signed a four-year max deal. And what happened? One year later, he requests a trade the heck out of Oklahoma City. So nobody can believe anything this man says. This guy is a prima donna. Um, he's really, really uh, toxic. Uh, he's a guy that just has no credibility whatsoever. I mean, like, if if you're going to, you know, you know, plead your case for us to stay – like, why would we stay when you put up trash effort after trash effort in the postseason? Like, you should have backed up your words. But in terms of the chemistry issues, I just think that it was apparent. You know, you had so many guys, like, each game through the season for the Clippers just not being there. You you can't have chemistry when, you know, every game you have, like, at least one player not playing because of either load management or I don't even know what happened uh, to why they weren't playing. But every game was, like, they weren't playing, but yeah, you just can't have chemistry with uh, every, with at least one person not playing. That's why uh, the Lakers, you know, they're having so much success because each and every game you had everybody playing. Uh, they were able to develop that chemistry on the court and also uh, in the locker room as well. John, if you had to perhaps uh, say that the Clippers blow things up, where do you really start, though? Head coaching change? Do you perhaps look at the roster? Do you perhaps deal away some of these guys with egos, a la Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, uh, Marcus Morris? I mean, uh, what, what do you think, John, probably is the starting block for the Clippers if they go the route of blowing up this entire club on the floor? John, you're muted. I would have to start with coaching. I think it's time for a coaching change. I think Doc Rivers been uh, warming up that seat long enough now. And I think his seat is a little bit hotter. It, at least it should be. He should be on the hot seat by now. Um, he's had numerous of, he had numerous opportunities to get this team to the Western Conference Finals, to the NBA Finals, and it never it has never come to fruition for uh, <clears throat> this Clippers organization. So, um, you know, I think you have to uh, start a, a, a coaching search and you have to dismiss Doc Rivers. Then you start to deal some of the players, maybe the reserve players, maybe guys like Patrick Beverly, guys like Lou Williams. Uh, you start there. Um you don't really want to get rid of your superstars. You want to build around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard if you can. But, you know, I, I just think Paul George is like Isaiah said. He's part of the problem. Uh, he's not the solution, it doesn't seem. And and like Isaiah said, he's toxic. The, the man is the problem. And, I mean, that right there you know, should tell you something about Paul George. Um, he's preaching loyal loyalty. 
Um, how about preaching, practicing what you preach? You know, um, you didn't stay loyal when you was in Indiana. And then there was rumors that you quit on the team. Um, you didn't stay loyal when you were um, in OKC. You didn't stay, you're, you, you know, you, you came to the Clippers, you, you requested a trade. Now you're with the Clippers and you're talking about loyalty. You, I mean, I don't know about this guy. This guy just seems like he's a, a, a troublemaker, and that's not good for the Clippers. It seems like, you know, he's a problem child, and it's obvious to me that, you know, he wants to be the guy. You know, he he has this ego trip about himself. And it's, it's, it's all bad, you know. Now, he wanted to team up with Kawhi Leonard. He got his wish. Uh, the team looked horrible against the Nuggets. And, you know, I mean, I just don't know what else to say about it I, other than the fact that Paul George is not helping the situation. It, it's gotten a lot worse He's gotten there. I definitely agree, you know, and if you're going to talk about loyalty, but you're getting out of Indiana, easy way out of Oklahoma City, go to L.A., I think you definitely have to practice what you preach, that's for sure. Quick game break, folks. The Raiders open up the Roomba, a.k.a. Allegiant Stadium with a victory over the Saints, 34-24. And also, real quick, uh, we got some more comments. Christy agrees. Paul George sounds to be like he was a cancer in that lake in the uh, Clippers locker room. James Gonzalez does say, though, real quick, fellas, Kawhi and PG have one more year together. Then we'll see what both will do as free agents. He also goes on to say that Doc should have been fired last Wednesday and that Harold and Lou are not coming back for next season. And Christy agrees as well. Would rather see the Clippers build around Kawhi than Paul George. And if she's being honest, don't think Paul George is as good as he thinks. I think he is a very average player. I think a lot of people agree. especially, agree. especially, agree. In the, And especially – in the playoffs where he goes, I mean, if, you know, we can talk about playoff P pandemic P, you know, flipper P clipper P whatever. Paul George goes into a shell in the playoffs every single season. But I say, and, and, and then he comes up with this self-proclaimed name playoff P you ain't playoff P you're disappeared P you know, you, you, you never show up for playoff action until you show up. You don't get, a nickname problematic p problematic p you yeah, know yeah. good grief locker room p, p. <laughs> public I speaking p <laughs> i couldn't think of anything so i just said disappeared p oh well <clears throat> my uh, voice anyway <laughs> anyway isaiah uh what do you think about this in regards to what is the main starting block for the clippers if they decide to go the route of just totally jipping this roster Finding a new one, but uh, guys, James has the best name of the night. How about pathetic P for Paul George? I like that. Oh. And James Gonzalez has made the dynamite go off. Brilliant idea. Wonderful. Just wonderful. Pathetic P. It's simple. Shut up and play ball. I mean, honestly, if you're going to talk so much, and you don't back it up, you have no right to say your piece to anyone, in my opinion, if, in fact, you're going to be a cancer like that. And definitely, James, again, 
play a pathetic P. What a name that is, Isaiah. Uh, but again, man, what do you think, though, if you are looking at this Clippers organization and you're probably assuming that they're going to blow this thing up, maybe not this year, maybe give it one more, you know, one more shot. And if it doesn't work, then you blow things up. But Isaiah, where would you start, though, if, in fact, you decided to blow up this Clippers roster, a new head coach, uh, get rid of some of the guys that maybe are a little bit too much for you? Again, like Marcus Morris, Montrez Harrell, uh, Lou Williams. So I think, though, guys, I think that Lou probably did more damage than maybe Paul George. Again, this guy left the bubble for, again, for good reasons. But again, though, that whole strip club incident is a very bad look for a guy who's been around the NBA for a long time like Lou. Isaiah, what do you think, though, about the Clippers and what you would probably do to blow up this organization if, in fact, they went that route? All right. So what I would do is, first of all, Steve Ballmer, stop paying the media to hype up your team because we all know you paid the media. That's why they went on this like like they went on this spree about how you know great the Clippers were. Stop paying the media. Like I don't like who cares what the media and all the people outside your organization thinks about your team. I think it's better that your team stays on the down low of things and you know like not have that high expectations because if you don't if you have really high expectations you're going to choke. You're going going to blow up that's just how it is it's going to be really hard for you to meet expectations so steve bomber stop paying the media to hype your team up secondly what the clippers need to do is number one get rid of patrick beverly because this dude does more bad than he does good i mean this guy talks so much trash and you know he tries to antagonize his opponents but and that's all he did in the playoffs his defense where was that in the playoffs i didn't see patrick uh beverly anywhere on defense i mean he was whenever i did watch him he was getting toasted by opponents so this guy needs to shut up maybe he needs to leave la because i think la has gotten too much in his head uh secondly um i really do think lou williams needs to be gone because his like he just has uh too big of an ego um, Montrez Harrow, he's a free agent. I really don't think he's going to be back because he's going to demand a lot of money this year. So, and the Clippers, I don't think like they'll pay him because he does have an attitude as well. Just look what he did to Luka Doncic. And I think you got to think about trading Paul George because right now, like James Gonzalez says, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be free agents after this season. So, and let's say they don't win the championship next season because there's going to be a lot more teams that are going to be better than them. If you don't win the championship, those two guys are going to leave and your organization is going to be screwed because you traded all your draft picks to land Paul George for the next seven years. So you're, no, you're not going to have draft picks. You're not going to have star players. You're going to be an organization that's going to be down in the dumps. As a Laker fan, I love it. But for the Clippers, you might need to start looking to trade Paul George so you can recuperate some of those assets that you lost in getting Paul George. And maybe you can go get a guy like maybe like you can go try to swing a trade with the Phoenix Sun. Maybe you can trade like Paul George to Phoenix for Devin Booker and you can have Booker there for longer. And he's a better player right now at his stage at the stage of his career than Paul George. Or you could maybe swing a trade with Indiana and try to get Victor Oladipo who him and Paul George, they both have the same contract. They're both free agents after this season. So, and I think you need a Isaiah, do you really think, though, that Indiana would want Paul George back after how he kind of left the Pacers of a few years ago? Would they really be willing to trade trade for him and trade him back? 
Um, probably not because he burned those bridges. But I just think like you got to try to trade, get rid of Paul George and uh, either get assets back or uh, get another star uh, that would replace Paul George because Paul George right now, he's a cancer in the locker room. He doesn't show up in the playoffs. And I really don't think he's a fit uh, with Kawhi Leonard. I definitely agree uh, with that. And I think, John, uh, as you probably think about that uh, point that Isaiah made, uh, John, do you really think, though, that the that a I think the guys at Christie's right here in regards to uh, to this. She said, I would trade Paul George. But, John, she's right, though. The problem, though, which team, though, would be willing to take him on by virtue of probably this report, though, coming out of him not really being that guy to lead your organization in the right direction. If, in fact, he says a lot of stuff, but doesn't back up, back it up with his actual play on the floor. John, what do you probably think about that? I think Christy has a very valid point again. Trade George, but is there a team out there in your mind right now, Mr. Mavis, that would be willing to take him on by virtue of that baggage because of this report coming out from the postseason? I'm not too sure there would be a team willing to take on that headache. Um, that is a good question, though, but which team would take on that headache? There's always a team out there that's desperate for a superstar, and there are some teams in this league that needs a superstar. But why would you want a cancer in your locker room? And if you're rebuilding, you don't really want to rebuild around Paul George. You already know what he does in the postseason. He folds. Um, he pulls a disappearing act all the time. And again, you know, I don't know if I would want that toxic waste in my locker room. Um, you know, unless you want a lot of problems on your team, then you would acquire this guy. Um, would you want to give up your future assets for this guy? Absolutely not. I don't know if I would want to do that. That would be too much of a risk. You know, um, I, I don't I don't see a team that would be willing to, uh, you know, engage in tra trade talks to acquire um, a, a problematic Paul George. I, I just don't see it. I think the Clippers, honestly, in my mind, the Clippers are stuck with him. I, I think they're stuck with him until he becomes a free agent. And once he becomes a free agent, maybe there will be a team out there that's willing to take a chance on him Maybe they'll sign him to a one-year deal, uh, something of that nature. But I don't see them signing him long-term when he does become a free agent. But I think the Clippers will uh, stay with him until he uh, is free to move around the country. Uh, real quick, folks, James agrees. To me, Paul George is untradeable. He'll be a free agent and sign with a bad team after next season. Uh, and, and I will say, if he wants to be a bad boy so bad, go start with Detroit. If you want to be a bad boy all of a sudden. And quickly, folks, a game break for you folks at this time. The Oakland A's are American League Western Division champs in 2020. As the Mariners beat the Astros handily 6-1 to one in the game. That gives the A's their first AOS title in a very brief amount of time, I believe 2013. Um, Isaiah, uh, how about thoughts on the, on the uh, hometown ball club winning the uh, American League West title? It's amazing, man. Um, I don't know if you guys heard it, but when John was talking about the uh, the Clippers, I I let out a shriek after reading James Gonzalez's comment because, uh, and then well, I actually read it, and then I checked the Astros score, I saw it, I was like, 
Woo! And then, like, I don't know if you guys heard that, but I was super excited. I'm super pumped up. We've been wanting this for so, so long, ever since 2013. It's been a long road to get here, filled with a lot of, you know, bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, and we were, we, we were being so Isaiah, I hate to rain on your parade, bud, but we're going to move on because I've had the longer playoff drought amongst the two of you here, so save it for uh, later on. But yes, folks, the A's win the AO West for the first time since 2013. They win uh, the division by virtue, again, of that uh, final score between the uh, Mariners and the Astros. Okay, Isaiah, I'll let you add on to your point. Uh, please go ahead. No, it, it's not about the A's. I wanted to add about uh, the Clippers, and I wanted to talk uh, – yeah, I wanted to add about the Clippers and what they should do. The reason why I didn't mention uh, anything about Doc Rivers was because Kawhi Leonard, um, the reason why he came – one of the reasons why he came to L.A. and to play with the Clippers was because of Doc Rivers. So if you fire Doc Rivers, there is a great chance – that you're going to lose Kawhi Leonard. So I don't think you do anything with Doc Rivers until next season. If he cannot perform next season, then fine, you fire him. At that point, you know, Kawhi is going to be a free agent. Giannis is going to be a free agent. Oladipo is going to be a free agent. There's going to be a bunch of free agents out there if Kawhi does leave where you can replace him. So I don't think you fire uh, Doc Rivers right now because you don't want to alienate Kawhi. It's a fair point too. You know, sometimes there's player there's players who have great relationships with coaches, and the last thing you want to do is fire the head coach and then see that star player leave as well. Couple of quick comments too. Shareable Steve, I concede defeat to Martin Garcia tonight. He was spot on about the Vikings and the Raiders this season, but who knows? Maybe some miracle can happen to make him eat his words. Martin replied back, "Take that, Stephen. <laughs> Take that, yes, Stephen. Sir, Stephen. Take." <laughs> take that fan, take that fantasy football butt whooping, my friend. And then also, Christy, congrats to the A's. Steven plays cool in the gang. Celebrate good times. Come on. But the Twins will beat the A's in the postseason, he says, as well. And also, uh, do you remember 21st day of September? Anybody out there, Earth, Wind, and Fire today for the 21st day of September or yay? Uh, apparently not. Uh, with that, guys, let's now go over to our final thoughts for tonight's show. Oh, man. I will be sure to never, ever dance or sing on this program ever again. My sincerest apologies, folks. John, we'll start with you. Again, we know that the voice is uh, trying to hold up. the end, uh, It's end of the bargain. Uh, but, John, final thoughts for tonight's show are what? Yes, I am drinking out of my customary Rams cup. Yes, I know this is the old logo, but hey, it's still my cup. I love it. I drink everything out of this cup. Uh, Kool-Aid, um, cranberry juice, apple juice. This cup goes everywhere with me. I haven't used a paper cup. I'll be honest. I haven't used a paper cup in about two years. Everything I drink is in this cup. Amazing cup. It's never done me wrong. I love it so much. But in all seriousness, I want to thank all the viewers out there for taking uh, the time out of their night to check our show out. Um, you know, you guys are amazing. Thank you guys so much for uh, letting us uh, into your home or wherever you may be. Uh, we really appreciate you. Much love for you guys. And today, Colin, I know you're a Disney fan. I did it for you. No, I'm just Love kidding. it. 
No, I just kidding. I, I did it for myself, actually. <laughs> I love uh, it. Actually, I have so many graphic teams, you guys. Um, it was honestly, it was the first one I saw in my closet. So I just decided I just put it on because I would have to go searching for particular ones that I want. I, to be honest with you guys, I have over a thousand graphic teams. I know it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Uh, my fiance, she complains all the time about how <laughs> many graphic tees I have. I love she, it. <laughs> she has no room for her stuff. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Um, it's just something I love. It's something that I, I do. And, you know, I have I turned it into my little trademark, to be honest with you guys. So you guys will always see me in a different graphic tee all the time. We can count on a new one coming up on Wednesday. With that, Isaiah, how about you for final thoughts for tonight's show? Yeah, speaking of T-shirts, John, I'm wearing my Devin Booker T-shirt right now, and I know I just said the Clippers should trade Paul George to the Phoenix Suns. Well, I ma that made me throw up in my mouth a little bit because I don't want to see <laughs> – that, that made me throw up in my mouth because I don't want to see my boy end up a Los Angeles Clipper. But as for final thoughts, um, you know, I want to thank all the fans out there for tuning into the uh, tonight's show. I want to thank Christy Wilson, James Gonzalez, Vince for just being very loyal viewers and always tuning into every MI6 uh, Sports Network show that we have on, whether it's uh, early in the early in the day or even late at night, as late as 11 p.m. So we thank you guys so so much. You know, I'm looking forward to. This weekend and also next week going down to Callan's hometown of San Diego and just chilling on the beach, doing the show on the beach as well, eating some fish tacos and drinking a glass of margarita and just like enjoying life. You know, it's going to be so much fun. But oh, and I have one last thing before I uh, conclude my final thoughts, and that is I've heard a lot of chirping. The last few hours, whether it's on ESPN radio or CBS radio or even NFL Network about how the Niners are done. Let me tell you guys something. Do not underestimate the wizard that is Kyle Shanahan and that is and also Nick Mullen. This team has a lot of fight in them. I know we lost a ton of pieces, but we are not done just yet. Uh, with that, folks, my final thoughts come with some comments. Christy Wilson, her final thought, T-shirts rule in regards to John and that graphic tee. So I'm sure we'll probably uh, have, we'll have to step up our shirt game, it looks like. We may have ourselves a good little uh, shirt contest eventually as time rolls on. Uh, eventually. I mean, not right now, but eventually we will. And also, real quick, Stephen agrees that shirt looks amazing on Isaiah. And James agrees. Thank you guys for the show. And I... At this time, I hope that Christy and James have a fan badge for being top fans of the network because I know that they are tuning in left and right every so often, whether it's uh, the whole show or bits and pieces. Again, thank you all dearly for your uh, cons uh, your consistent uh, viewership and your comments. Again, it really keeps us going and kind of keeps the program very fun for us to, again, kind of uh, chew on more topics. And this will be planned out like three hours before the show starts. But my final thoughts, folks, um, as usual, again, uh, folks, we thank you all again dearly for tuning in. And of course, um, Isaiah, it's actually what well, we're calling it Slam Diego now, in case you forgot, but it's Slam Diego, California. That is the new name of our city here down south here uh, in Southern California. Uh, also, folks, again, as a reminder, 
And again, throw us up again to, uh, for more about our uh, network shows. But again, folks, here's our program lineup for you folks every single day of the week. Tomorrow, the night shift at 10 p.m. Pacific time, followed by our bookend episode of WSD at 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Ryan Schreiner and Shareable Steve are back on air on Thursday for fan response. And, of course, catch me, Isaiah, Furman, and Trevor for No BS on Fridays. And, of course, the night shift as well on Saturday and on Sunday. Isaiah Alan? wants to make one point. What have we got? Yes, about our schedule. We might have to consider – for next for this week's uh, no BS Power Five, doing the top five uh, alcoholic beverages because who knows? I'm gonna be in Slam Diego on that beach eating some fish tacos and drinking a margarita. It's just appropriate. We do top five alcoholic drink. Uh, we have to, and also Isaiah, you uh, you need to get one of these as well, buddy. They come in for brown sure. and white, so you gotta definitely no. get one of these. Sorry, John. I know it's I'm I know it's a heartbreaking that's the one graphic tee you will not see me wearing. Never. <laughs> Never. But, I say, but I will say, though, BreakingTea.com, folks, where I got that shirt. But they have all kinds of great shirts, baseball, football, uh, WNBA, Major League Soccer, the NHL. They have some great designs, folks. So if you're a sports fan, let's talk about Breaking Tea. And also, I, I believe right now, I believe, uh, not an advertisement for them, but they, they're not a, a sponsor of our show. But I do believe they have an offer for – Free shipping on orders of over 70 bucks, I think. And it was me, my mom, my dad, my brother, and sister-in-law, and niece all bought one. So uh, definitely, folks, a great place to check out. And uh, uh, great lines for every uh, for every team out there. So definitely, of course, um, yeah, I think, we, uh, I think we're going to have ourselves a very fun shirt competition as more time goes on. And definitely, hopefully, I think that Shareable Steve, I believe, fellas, is also working on some MI6 merchandise as well. We heard some discussions about um uh, coffee mugs last night we heard some shirt designs maybe so we'll see how things jerseys, uh, jerseys shirseys you name it uh, we'll work on that folks later time later date but of course folks for john mathis for isaiah leung this is cal mcclurg saying good night and of course folks we thank you all dearly for joining us every single show and again i hope that christy and james have a top fan badge on facebook again they are probably two of the most loyal viewers but again folks we thank you all again dearly for tuning in and for joining us. And Steve agrees. He is, in fact, working on six merchandise. So start rubbing the hands, folks. We may, in fact, be having some uh, product lines put out. And also, I think, folks, as well, um, if you have not, folks, but again, we always advertise. But again, folks, uh, find us on your favorite social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also, of course, on Anchor. Again, for every, I believe it's every hundred uh, uh, listens we get on Anchor, we get a dollar in our revenue. So if we get, if we start, uh, if we start folks, in fact, uh, being able to sell merch, that will uh, be a huge, uh, a huge bonus for all of us here in regards to uh, perhaps keeping us on air, paying fees for uh, keeping StreamYard going and stuff like that. So again, folks, we will uh, again, see folks back here Tuesday for the night shift at 10 PM Pacific time. And then of course, WST back on air Wednesday. And of course as well, fan response on Thursday, no BS on Friday. And the night shift again, Saturday and Sunday. And, a, and you might, in fact, see me and Isaiah hanging out somewhere in San Diego for some fish tacos and some ice cold beer. So we'll see how things do, in fact, go on. But with that, folks, till next time, have a good rest of your night. Take care. Stay safe and stay healthy. And so long. Uh, with that in mind, bye-bye.